Bonjour, l'honorable Premier ministre d'Ontario, Dalton McGuinty, chers invités, membres du communauté de LSE. It's with great pleasure that I welcome the Honorable Premier of Ontario to the London School of Economics. My name is Nalima Goldrajani, and I'll be chairing today's session. I'm a recent arrival to the LSE myself, um, a lecturer in the Department of Government here and the Development Studies Institute. My area of specialization is not Canadian politics. Moreover, I'm from Quebec. <laughs> and for those of you familiar with Canadian regional politics, possibly the equivalent of Ontario's arch nemesis. Um, nevertheless, I must give credit where credit is due. Um, the Honorable Dalton McGuinty is a distinguished politician, accomplished lawyer, and progressively minded citizen. He has been a member of the Liberal Party since 1990, both in opposition and in government. He is currently the leader of the Provincial Liberal Party, um, which he, a position he's held since 1996, and in Premier of Ontario since 2003, um, most recently won a majority in the 2007 provincial election. He's also apparently a formidable speaker, certainly better than me. Um, according to Wikipedia, that trustworthy academic source, he has been called by an opponent, I believe, an evil reptilian kitten eater from another planet. Um, so with that, I'd like to welcome the Honourable <laughs> Mr. McGinty to the floor to speak for about 20 minutes or so, followed by another 20-25 minutes of questions. Um, we're looking forward to a lively debate, um, and um, his speech is titled Ontario in the 21st Century, and hopefully we, we won't have any kitten-eating or reptile-eating in this session today. Nonetheless, a lively debate. Please welcome the Honourable Dalton McGinty. Thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon and giving me this opportunity to speak with you. I am very much looking forward to the question and answer session to follow, and I'm reminded of a story. Einstein, when he first went to the United States of America, became a very famous man very quickly, but nobody knew what he looked like. Einstein was pursuing a very aggressive speaking tour, and he had a driver. One day the driver said to him, I've heard that damn speech so much, I bet you I could get up there and give it myself. Einstein says, you're on. So the next venue, the driver goes to the front of the room, and he gives a speech. Einstein hangs around at the back of the room, pretends he's the driver. Then there's a question and answer session. Somebody stands up and asks a very complicated question. The driver says, that's such an easy matter, I'm going to refer it to my driver at the back of the room. <laughs> so if there are any complicated questions, I'll be sending them your way. I, um, I want to say that it's a tremendous privilege to be here today at the London School of Economics to have this opportunity to speak to you. I uh, was married in second year law school, and my wife Terry was a teacher. I had already completed four years uh, of a science degree and went on to law school. And when I had completed law school, I said, I'm going to the London School of Economics. And she said, no, you're not. <laughs> and that was the end of that. <laughs> True story. A degree from this... <laughs> 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 
A degree from this fine institution will not, open, not only open your mind to possibilities, it will open doors to opportunities. You are home to some of the world's top professors, some of the world's best research. And with students from all over the world, the learning experience here is extraordinary. Your alumni have the kind of influence at home and on the world stage that few schools could dream of. I'll give you one personal example. My brother David is a member of parliament in Canada. He's the opposition critic, the shadow minister, if you will, for the environment. He's responsible for shaping his party's response to climate change. He is passionate about the environment and determined to make a difference for Canada. That passion, that fire, was lit right here at LSE, where he completed his master's in environmental law. I have every confidence that the lessons that you learn here will serve you very well. Just as those lessons we learned at home continue to serve us well throughout our lives. I remember two in particular from my home. Lesson number one. I want you to imagine dinner in the McGinty household. Five kids on the bench on this side. Five kids on the bench on this side. I can honestly say growing up in my house, I never slept alone until I was married. My dad at this end and my sainted mother when she had time to sit at that end. My dad was a uh, kind, a yet physically imposing man, a professor of romantic poetry. And he would regularly lecture us, in the best sense of the word, at home at the dinner table. And one of the lessons I remember best is he'd look at us all in the eye and say, remember, nobody here is as smart as all of us. Nobody here is as strong as all of us. That was lesson number one for me at home. Lesson number two, we would walk to church on Sundays. Not because we were into fitness, but because we couldn't fit in the car. When I was 16, I had a two-year-old sister, a three-year-old brother, and lots in between me and them. My mother would say, you've got to slow down. I'd say, why do I have to slow down? I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster. Why do I have to wait up for them? And she would say, because we're a family. In a family, we stick together. In a family, we support one another. In a family, we care for one another. In a family, if one of us meets with success, that's a cause for celebration by all of us. In a family, if one of us is in trouble, then we're all in trouble. We all have a responsibility to help out. These two lessons, number one, of finding the strength we need to overcome our challenges by working together, and number two, of our responsibility to support one another, have stayed with me as Premier. They inform my thinking and inspire my efforts daily. Just last week, after a lengthy competition, Ontario won the honor of acting as the International Center for the Cancer Genome Consortium. This is the largest collaborative scientific research project ever. It involves scientists from around the world working together to identify the genetic basis for cancer. The reason this 10-year effort will succeed 
is because the world is coming together to tackle cancer. And none of us is as strong as all of us working together. And the purpose of this project is to support one another. We are all affected by cancer. We are all losing fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters to cancer. That's really why the world's scientists are coming together to help one another. As I see it today, my family is no longer 12, it is 13 million Ontarians. And in a highly competitive global economy, with emerging giants like India and China, it has become all the more important that Ontarians work, build and dream together. I've been asked to speak today about Ontario's place in the 21st century. I'm only too pleased to do so. My vision for Ontario in this century is of a place that offers its people an exceptional quality of life, a place where we all find the opportunity we need to be the very best we can be. I see an, an Ontario that is supported by a dynamic economy built on the skills, education, and creativity of our people, an economy that provides solutions to humanity's greatest challenges, like climate change, energy supply, disease, and hunger. Finding solutions to these global challenges doesn't just create jobs for Ontario, it gives us moral purpose. I see an Ontario that capitalizes on the incredible diversity of our people and demonstrates to a sometimes anxious world that we can find strength in our differences. You may know something about the city of Toronto, about four and a half million people 52% of the people living there were born outside the country. Of the 13 million people living in Ontario, close to one-third now were born outside the country. We have embarked upon an adventure largely without precedent in the annals of human history, and we are determined to find strength in our differences. Finally, my vision is of an Ontario that is constantly possessed by a desire to create wealth not for its own sake, but rather as the means to a higher end, a caring and compassionate society. To help us achieve that vision, our government has bold yet practical plans. I'll speak very briefly to five of those plans. First, we're equipping Ontarians with the skills and education they need through a strong public education system. Working together, Ontarians now enjoy the highest rate of post-secondary education in the Western world. Second, we're ensuring all our families, rich and poor, strong and weak, are cared for in times of sickness through a strong public health care system. It's always a challenge maintaining confidence in public health care, but we're making headway through measurable improvements like shorter wait times and more doctors and nurses. Thirdly, we have a smart plan to build a stronger, greener, more competitive economy. One will be proud to turn over to our children. Growing that economy calls for, among other things, a heavy emphasis on innovation. Of the millions of species on this planet, there's only one that is blessed with the power of imagination. This magnificent capacity to see beyond the here and the now to the what could be. To see with what Shakespeare called the mind's eye innovation, harnessing the power of the human imagination. It holds so much for us. To put it simply, 
Innovation is all about turning ideas into jobs. Just a few years ago, a couple of guys in Ontario had an idea for a wireless, handheld communications device. And today, thousands and thousands of Ontarians have good jobs producing and constantly reinventing our BlackBerry. Our fourth plan tackles climate change by aggressively reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and creating new jobs at the same time. To that end, our single biggest initiative is to shut down our coal-fired electricity plants. This is not without its challenges. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, nobody else anywhere on the planet is even attempting this. There are its upsides, though. In my first four years as Premier, we've gone from seven wind turbines in Ontario to nearly 700. We're building the world's largest solar farm in southwestern Ontario. Fifth and finally, we in Ontario are developing new strategies to build more opportunity for our poor and our Aboriginal peoples. This is more than just a moral imperative. This is a sound economic strategy. In today's global economy, we need all our people at their best. So in Ontario, it's all hands on deck. Or as my dad would put it, none of us is as strong as all of us. So I've just described to you my vision for Ontario and some of our plans to realize that vision. But both that vision and our plans are informed by, by my political philosophy. I am a liberal. My favorite definition of liberalism comes from Canada's seventh prime minister, Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who said, I am a liberal. I am one of those who think that everywhere in human things there are abuses to be reformed, new horizons to be opened up, and new forces to be developed. This condition of our nature is precisely what makes the greatness of man, for it condemns him irrevocably to movement, to progress. Our means are limited, but our nature is perfectible, and we have the infinite for our arena. A beautiful definition of liberalism. But to me, this is more than simply a definition. It's an agenda. It's a mission. And it speaks not only to the political philosophy of liberalism, but to the highest ideals of humanity. It is certainly true that throughout our history, we human beings have more than proven our capacity to be shallow, selfish, short-sighted, and mean-spirited. But there is another inescapable truth about people. There's something noble about us. Something deep down inside that we cannot repress. Something that manifests itself again and again. Something that tells us it is right to care for one another. It is right to support one another. It is right to lift each other up. All the world's great faiths and all the world's wisest people, the best human organizations, have always tried to speak to that nobility. Abraham Lincoln talked about appealing to the better angels of our nature. Those who appeal to those angels are always the ones who bring us together and move us forward in the relentless pursuit of progress. They lift us up. They reinforce that what matters most when it comes to people everywhere is not our differences or petty distinctions. You know, we are given to this 
propensity to reinforce what we have by way of differences instead of understanding how much we have in common. It seems to me that what matters most when it comes to people is not the color of our skin. It's not the language we speak. It's not the traditions we inherit. It's not the culture we cherish. It's not the wealth that we accumulate. It's not the power that we wield. And it's not the faith that we choose to practice. What matters most when it comes to people everywhere on this tiny planet is what we have in common. It's our humanity. Everything else is secondary. Roberta Bondar is the name of Canada's first woman astronaut. I had a chance to chat with her once. She told me a story of how when she was in the space shuttle, she looked out two different windows. One peered into the blackness of space, and there was starlight that was visible. She called it dead light. It doesn't twinkle. It doesn't come through the atmosphere. There's no romantic connotation attached to it. It's just blackness and dead light. The other window she looked out of had this tiny blue planet. And she told me she was overcome with this powerful desire to grab humanity by the scruff of the neck and to say, I've been out there. To the very best of our knowledge, there is no other place in the entire universe that supports life. That's why it's so important that we get this right, that we protect our planet and support one another, that we understand that in the end we are one planet, one people, one destiny. You've asked me here today to speak to you about Ontario. I want to conclude by asking something of you. I'm asking you to reject cynicism and to embrace idealism. I'm asking you to believe in yourself and in your ability to make a difference. I'm asking you to have faith in the ability of people to come together and to do great and good things for each other. I'm asking you to understand that the world needs your knowledge, your energy, your leadership. I'm asking you to do what we do when we are at our best. Lift people up. Bring people together. Always speak to what is best in people. Appeal to the better angels of our nature. And be ambitious for humanity. Keep reaching higher. Maybe Robert Browning put it best when he said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? So what is Ontario's place in the 21st century? I firmly believe Ontario was poised for tremendous success. But in the end, Ontario cannot truly succeed in a world where many are failing. Ontario's responsibility, our shared responsibility, is to embrace our shared destiny. We are one people, and we were meant to work, build, and dream together. Thank you very much.
So any questions? There should be mics coming down. So please wait for the mic. All right. Um, yeah, I'm Eric Kaufman. I teach at Birkbeck College, University of London. I just have a question about Ontario identity, because uh, some people would say that the West has its identity, Maritimes have theirs, Quebec has theirs, Ontario doesn't have an identity distinct from Canada. So how would you respond? Hi there. Um, I'm Stephanie Carvin. I uh, am an alumni of the LSE, and I teach at uh, Royal Holloway University of London. Um, Okay, if, if you're thinking of Ontario as a family, I'm from Oshawa, which is perhaps uh, the 13-year-old ugly kid brother. But um, one of the poor relations. <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I'm very much concerned. The news from home is very bad. Um, I, as you know, these areas, Oshawa, these kind of manufacturing towns, have been hard hit by economic events. And I was wondering if you had an economic strategy. And feel free to be as specific as you want with regards to dealing with this. Yep. Sure. Thank you. My name is Lawrence Fullick. Um, I've been aware of the recent visit by the Governor-General of Canada to France. And at that, in connection with that visit, President Sarkozy indicated that he is now interested in looking at Canada as a whole. He's conscious that there are French-speaking people all over Canada, not just in Quebec. Does this indicate hope for uh, Ontario? that perhaps it may have better opportunities in areas like attracting economic development, uh, investment, educational contacts, and so on. And one last sentence. I, l I last visited Ontario about 25 years ago. I noticed that two of your major cities had removed their railway stations from the town centre to the edge of the city so that the trains wouldn't disturb people quite so much. Um, in the interest of the environment, not to save people having to use their cars to go to stations, might that be reversed one day? Thank you very much. Um, all right, let me start with the first. Uh, this gentleman over here, this whole issue of Ontario's identity, that's a real issue. It's, it's one of a, it's um, because of our diversity. You know, I was once attended a um, Premier's conference in Newfoundland. And um, they uh, had some entertainment to give us some flavor for the province as a whole. And I was asking myself, so if I was to do the same thing in Ontario, who would I put on the stage? I think I'd have to put 30 or 40 different groups from 30 or 40 different backgrounds on the stage because of our diversity. That's kind of aspect number one. The other is no group as a whole of Canadians more identifies with a nation as a whole than do Ontarians which can present a bit of a challenge from time to time for the Premier. Because while other provinces may be more, may be quicker to close ranks, to come together and assert themselves when they feel that their interests are being um, disrespected, where they feel they're being visited with some kind of an unfairness, um, they tend to pull together more quickly. So it presents a challenge uh, for um, Ontarians uh, but it also, you know, um, gives us a, um, um, I think, a special, special responsibility. You know, with privilege comes responsibility. And because we've embarked upon this wonderful adventure of diversity, I think one of the things that we owe not just ourselves but the world is to demonstrate that we can get this right. We've all seen pictures of some of the trials and tribulations and strife on the streets of 
sometimes London, sometimes Berlin, uh, sometimes um, the Netherlands, uh, even more recently in Switzerland. There's some challenges associated with diversity. So we feel that uh, as we work our way through this diversity, where it's hard for us to have kind of a shared identity, uh, it's important nonetheless that we get it right. And I'll just conclude by saying the single most important determinant, the single most important found foundational part of our social cohesion is public education. It's absolutely essential that we continue to bring, together, bring kids together from all the different backgrounds so they can come to well, learn from one another, grow together. And that's very important to us. Um, Oshawa. I remain very optimistic for Oshawa. I don't know if you've heard that um, um, uh, GM is going to build its first North American hybrid truck in Oshawa. We've had a very... I was telling the professor here a moment ago, we, were, we have a very aggressive plan, uh, plan that we've been pursuing uh, for the auto sector. The single biggest producer of cars in North America is in Ontario. You've got to ask yourself, well, wait a minute now, because 90% of our product goes to the U.S. You know that the governors are saying, let me make those cars in my state so I can create jobs here. If you understand something that's been happening in the auto sector during the last four or five, six years now, there has been tremendous restructuring, all kinds of pain. And yet, during that four and a half years, we've emerged in Ontario for the first time since the invention of the car with the number one producer in, of cars in North America. Uh, we've landed $7 billion worth of new investment and over 7,000 new jobs. To give an example, of, uh, by way of contrast, Michigan lost 90,000 jobs. 30% of the workforce has gone, um, has fallen by the wayside when it comes to the auto sector. We came to the table with a $500 million um, auto sector strategy, which has landed us uh, these new investments. On today is, what is today, Monday? Today's Monday, yeah. Um, I'm on Wednesday, I'm off to Italy. I'm off to Italy to talk to Fiat. Same because there's a rumor that they want to build, uh, put up their first assembly plant in North America. I'm saying the only place that they build the Lexus outside of Japan is Ontario because of the quality of our workforce. The first place that GM is choosing to build its new hybrid truck is in Ontario because of the quality of our workforce. So I remain optimistic. Um, President Sarkozy, um, it's great for some of you, some of you may not be familiar, but it's kind of an old part of our history that we prefer to kind of leave behind us, but uh, General Charles de Gaulle once came to uh, <laughs> visit us uh, and said something along the lines of vive le Québec libre, uh, which was decidedly unhelpful. <laughs> uh, and we've been working, we have been working hard to move beyond that. So um, I'm not sure when we were last visited by a French president, but I think it would be great he would be warmly received, and if he took a look at the country as a whole, that would be, that would be very helpful to all of us. We are also eager, as Ontarians, to support the federal government as it strives to um, enhance our economic relations with the European Union, and I believe President Sarkozy is, is a supporter of that initiative as well.
Oh, hi, Premier McGinty. Uh, my name is Jeff Myers. I'm a PhD student, uh, Canadian, uh, in the Faculty of Law, and I just want to thank you for your remarks uh, here today. I thought they were uh, uh, really representative of um, all our best aspirations as Canadians, and I particularly thank you for the remark that we shouldn't be cynical and that we ought to be idealistic about things. Uh, although closing in on 31 myself, I still consider myself an idealist. And my wife did let me go on to do my uh, PhD here, so I, I appreciated your remarks at the beginning. Uh, but uh, more specifically, uh, my question is regarding, um, uh, you talked a lot about post-secondary education, or at least alluded to it, and my concern is with what we've called the brain drain. And I just wanted to know if you might remark on that, particularly in light of the fact that the University of Toronto law faculty uh, began uh, some few years ago to give out the uh, option to students of having the JD or the Juris Doctorate uh, degree as opposed to the uh, traditional Canadian and uh, common law LLB. And um, some people have criticized that decision, saying that it was sort of designed to make its students more palatable to American employers. I myself worked in the United States for a period after graduating from McGill. And I still haven't made my way back to Canada, although I would like to. I'm just wondering, as a provincial premier, if you or your minister of education or anyone in cabinet has given any sort of consideration to this issue and how it is that Ontario and perhaps other Canadian provinces might be best positioned to draw back some of their people who've uh, left the country for greener pastures or for financial opportunities. Let me just pursue something. Are you saying the U of T is now giving out the JD? Is that what they're doing? Uh, yes, my understanding is that uh, students now have an option of uh, opting to take the LLB or to have a JD and they can, same course load, but they at the end graduate with one degree or the other. And I'm relatively certain of that, although I certainly would be open to being fact-checked and wrong, but I, I, that is my sense that that's, that's what's going on at the U of T Faculty of Law. Okay. And I, of course you don't represent the U of T Faculty of Law, and of course I wouldn't expect you to, have, to know about that. I'm just curious... In light of that, what, uh, you know, if you have any, any remarks on the brain drain generally and gotcha. perhaps the field of law. Yeah. Sorry about the length of the remarks. Yeah. <laughs> I could just ask you to keep your question relatively brief. That's, no that's what's known in Parliament as a filibuster. <laughs> Thank you. Great, I've got to follow that one with a brief one. Um, okay. Um, a report in the... I apologize to the audience, this is a very personal question. The a report was uh, issued in the St. Catherine's Standard newspaper late last year, last time, one of the last times I was home, um, that called the constituency in St. Catherine's, Niagara, as suffering from the perfect storm of being old, sick, and poor. My mother's a widow, she's 65, just about to be put out of work because of the factory that's closing in St. David's. She is without a doctor, cannot find one. Thankfully, um, I've done pretty well for myself. She's okay. She's got a bit of savings. So she's not exactly poor, but she isn't exactly well off by any means. I'd like to know if my mother were here today, or someone like my mother, and asked you the question, Sir, what does 40 years of liberal support, what has it gotten me now that I'm retired? Um, how would you answer that question? Hi, uh, my name is Azim. I'm a student here at the LSE, um, and I'm from Toronto. I also have um, uh, a question uh, that, that uh, has some linkages with that question. Um, but before I continue, I'd like to say that I like your quotation, um, that a man's reach should exceed their grasp, and the undertone of caring and compassion. Uh, Mr. McGinty, I would like to ask you to expand on your fifth point, namely that of the poor and that of the Aboriginal, uh, but also of the disabled. Um, I'd like to know, and my question is, what is Ontario doing to make the ODA Act more equitable 
And what is it doing to make ODSP rates reflect the cost of living in Ontario so that these individuals can also exceed beyond their reach and imagination? Uh, thanks very much. Good questions all. The, um, I have a, let me start with the issue of the brain drain. I can't, I can't speak to the JD issue. I'm just not familiar with that. Um, but let me just speak to the issue of the brain drain. One of the most common um, areas of concern for us was uh, people who could not uh, work at the highest level. So what we have tried to do is to, we can't pick every spot, but we've tried to pick um, some specific areas. Uh, stem cell research, for example. Um, cancer research, just by way of contrast, we've, we've devoted $347 million recently to cancer research. The federal government is is devoting $250 million for the nation as a whole. So we feel we've developed a, um, a center of excellence when it comes to those kinds of things. I think one of the, I don't get the sense that Ontarians feel that they have to leave the country in order to work at the cutting edge. Now, there are going to be some exceptions, undoubtedly. I have four kids in their 20s. Um, my daughter completed her Master's of International Relations at a school um, in Toronto called the Peter Monk um, Centre. And uh, she spent a year working in Sri Lanka. Um, I want you to feel, I want um, all Canadians to feel, and I want your children to feel very much uh, like global citizens, and that you can and, um, uh, and possibly should find some international experience so that you can bring um, that experience to bear on, on how we should lend shape to our, our country. And I think you have something pretty special to offer as Canadians, something which we often underestimate and take for granted. I think what the other, but the other side of it is, is I'm not so much concerned about a brain drain as, I'm, as I am about our uh, ability to move quickly to take advantage of the brain gain. And we've made some real um, um, progress in that area. For example, since I've been Premier, every year we've issued more uh, licenses to uh, foreign medical graduates than we have to um, domestic graduates. Uh, we've got, I think we'll call so one in three Ontario physicians now uh, are IMGs, international medical graduates. That's, that's become a real issue uh, for us to make sure we can take full advantage. Economists tell me that about 80% of our, our economic growth today comes from um, immigration. In five years, it'll be 100% of our our growth will come from uh, immigration. Uh, St. Catharines. Uh, St. Catharines um, is, um, uh, is a great community. The Niagara region is a great community. Where's the gentleman who asked us now? Just back there, yeah. Um, and uh, we are experiencing some, some challenges when it comes to the manufacturing sector in particular. Uh, but you, I want you to understand the new Ontario as well. 15% of our jobs are found in manufacturing. 85% are in other areas. Uh, manufacturing is being hard hit, especially by, uh, uh, by a high Canadian dollar, by uh, the uh, rising cost of, of uh, energy costs, price of oil. And then our single biggest export destination, of course, is the U.S. Close to 80% of Ontario exports go south of the border. And when their economy slows down, when their demand uh, for our product um, is reduced, 
then that presents real challenges for us. So we're working as hard as we can to help transition our manufacturing sector. Uh, we have, uh, and I've come under a little bit of attack for this, um, I have a $500 million advanced manufacturing investment strategy. I have this $500 million auto sector strategy. I have a $1.15 billion next generation of jobs strategy. And uh, there is, there are, some of my critics would argue that, look, what you're supposed to do in times of economic challenge, cut corporate taxes, fold your arms, back away, and allow the forces of creative destruction, I think as Joseph Schumpeter once described, just allow those forces of creative destruction to play themselves out. There will be a transition in the economy and eventually people will land on their feet. Well, from the perspective possibly of your mother or a 42-year-old man with two kids and a mortgage who loses a $27 an hour job and has available to him a $12 an hour job, he sees no creativity in these forces. He only sees destruction. So while we can't control the dollar and the price of oil and the, uh, and the uh, strength of the U.S. economy, we can come to the fore with these kinds of funds to help transition the economy. And the, and the, and the last thing I'll mention is, is this. Um, in terms of uh, lending support uh, to people who lose their jobs in this economy. In our last budget, we put $1.5 billion. Remember, this is a time of slow growth. Nonetheless, we put $1.5 billion into a new plan to um, um, help people who lose their jobs uh, gain, um, gain the kinds of skills that they need. And, and I'll give you a specific example. I remember um, a woman um, who lost her job, and I ended up connecting with her. And she was in her mid-30s. She had dropped out of high school. She worked in the uh, fast food uh, uh, restaurants. Then she got a good job in the manufacturing sector. Uh, and, but then that closed. So I spoke with her. She said, you know what I've always wanted to be? I've always wanted to be a welder. It's been my dream. I've always wanted to be a welder. I said, great. Well, why don't you run with that? She said, because your programs... Um, which help with skills upgrading, by and large, are designed you to get the next available job rather than the job that you want. There are a lot of jobs out there that will help you get by, but um, we want to get people more jobs that will help you get ahead. We have 100,000 jobs today in Ontario that we can't fill. Think of that, 100,000 jobs we can't fill. Most of them require high levels of skill. So for the first time ever, in the country, we now have, uh, we'll cover up to, um, Peter, do you remember the number? Price? $28,000. So somebody wants to, it's not an easy thing to do, because if you've been working for a while and you've got, you've got, you know, to say maybe some kids and a mortgage like that, we'll pay for up to two years of schooling, $28,000. If uh, that'll help cover child care, it'll help cover travel, it might help cover accommodation those kinds of things to help you get on your feet so you can get a better job. Um, the next, uh, the last question that I had had to do with um, what are we doing um, for the poor Aboriginals and um, our Ontario disability uh, legislation. Um, first of all, I just, I, um, there's, I've been at Queen's Park for 18 years. I've had the privilege of serving others in public service for 18 years. There is never a good time to start helping the poor. 
the argument will always be made that there are higher priorities. Put it into their health care. Put it into their schools. Put it into other kinds of social programs, but nothing that specifically targets the poor. I don't buy that. So notwithstanding the, the, the fact that we have a period of fairly slow economic growth in Ontario, I have struck a cabinet committee, first time it's ever happened. Their responsibility is to help us select some indicators for poverty, help us um, establish some targets against which we will be held accountable, and help us put in place a strategy to achieve those targets. That work will be completed by uh, December of this year. In the meantime, what we have done is we've created something called an Ontario Child Benefit, which for the first time ever, ever is available to the working poor. We are now going to establish a new program providing dental benefits to the working poor. Uh, we just doubled our funding for nutrition programs in our schools. The minimum wage was frozen for nine years in Ontario. I've increased it, I think, five times so far. So we have to, as a society, uh, be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Right? You've got to be able to make investments that grow the economy. The economy is foundation for good quality public services. Um, but you've also got to understand, especially, you know, we're up against 1.3 billion Chinese, 1.1 billion Indians, and we're only 13 million Ontarians, which means we need everybody at their very best. So that's kind of the informing philosophy for me to ensure that we're providing um, opportunities. Our Aboriginal peoples, if I can just expand on this a little bit, uh, we've created the first ever ministry devoted to Aboriginal affairs with a specific minister, with a specific funding. And we're looking for um, some milestones that we can reach together. Uh, the situation we find ourselves in took hundreds of years to develop. We're not going to get out of it in four years, but I think we owe it to ourselves and our Aboriginal peoples uh, to make some real progress. The... Uh, same kind of thinking informs um, the policy behind our Ontario uh, Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Uh, it's a matter of, of uh, harnessing their potential, making sure they have the opportunities they need to succeed because it's in our enlightened self-interest. So uh, we have an act in place, and now we're working with the, uh, the uh, uh, disabled community uh, and with businesses and with the social services sector to lay out the milestones that we want to achieve over a period of time. We can't um, turn things around overnight, but I, you know, one of the things I always tell my caucus and my cabinet is you know, we, we, we can't work magic uh, given our financial constraints, given uh, limitations that, are, that affect all government, that you know, kind of hinder all governments. But I think what we owe Ontarians is we owe measurable progress. They need to be able to say that we're making improvement. Um, my name is Matthew Campbell. I'm a student at Oxford University, and uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm an LSE affiliate. But uh, my question pertains to well, Ontario is often described as the engine of the Canadian economy, and my question pertains to the place that is, if not the engine probably the dynamo of the Ontario economy, and that's the city of Toronto. Now, that city was left in a pretty bad state by your predecessors fiscally, and your government has certainly taken steps to correct that in part. My question, though, is at what point those steps will shift from being principally legislative and administrative, through the, as they have been through the City of Toronto Act, 
which gave the city, for example, its powers, the individual power to raise revenue by itself, but not actual money, which a local newspaper columnist compared to being handed a noose and said, here, go hang yourself, <laughs> which I think is a little harsh. But still, my question is, when will that devolution of powers to municipalities like Toronto be financial in addition to being simply legislative? Thank you. Uh, hi. Um, my family moved from Toronto uh, to uh, just outside Meaford, outside, I say, generally, between Collingwood, No and Sound. Um, and uh, I go home for Christmas sometimes. And one of the things about living here is I can get from here to the north of England uh, in about two and a half hours if I get on the right train. Um, and and uh, it takes me about uh, four and a half to five hours to get 212 kilometers from Toronto to Meaford. Um, on the Greyhound bus, if it works. I fell off the 400 at Christmas, that was fun. Um, just wondering, uh, the gentleman mentioned something about transport, and I was wondering if you had any ideas. Uh, remember you met with uh, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger uh, last, last year, and they're saying now in California that uh, they're talking about a high-speed rail service, and the problem is it costs $40 billion. The bigger problem is they estimate it'll cost $80 billion uh, if they don't build it. And I know you've expanded the QEW and a whole bunch of highways for cars. I was wondering if we uh, have any trains in the works. My mom will be real happy. Uh, good afternoon, Premier McGinty. My name is James Patavan. I work with the Liberal International here in London. Uh, I just wanted to touch quickly on your remarks of Canadians and Ontarians as global citizens. I actually just returned from our 55th Congress in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and we talked about um, our shared future. That was the theme which we discussed uh, over 300 politicians from around the world and we discussed a lot of different things that were then taken back to these people's countries and hopefully you know, they're going to push uh, in their various parliaments. My question to you is under your government and under the Liberal Party of Ontario what are some of the ideas and innovations that Ontarians as global citizens can take back to their countries of origins and, uh, and you know, sort of educate uh, these countries, especially in the developed world. Thank you. Um, all right, let me begin with, the, um, with Matthew uh, and Toronto. Uh, Toronto is, um, somebody was telling me recently that Toronto is to Canada as New York and Los Angeles and um, Chicago and Miami and a few others are to the U.S., they have a, uh, Toronto has a disproportionate um, um, financial impact on the country as a whole. Uh, and I, I recognize that. Let me tell you what we've done, um, what we're doing, and what we should be doing. What we've done is we've increased um, annual um, uh, funding for Toronto fivefold in four and a half years. We have recognized that Toronto is, is, is a pretty unique city and given it uh, extraordinary uh, legislative authorities. Uh, we are investing uh, uh, heavily in uh, public transit, and I'll speak to that a little bit further. We've got a $17.5 billion plan in place. But this is what we should do. I have approached um, three prime ministers about this and my fellow premiers and has, have probably fair to say received zero support. If we had to redesign this fiscal framework, this financial web that, that connects our provinces and our federal government and our cities, 
if we had to redesign it today at the beginning of the 21st century, in order to ensure, and this is really important, in order to ensure that we make Canadians strong, not me strong, not the mayor of Toronto strong, not the prime minister of Canada strong, but to make Canadians as individuals strong, would we design it exactly the way it is today? I don't think so. And I think one of the things that um, a lot of politicians have trouble coming to grips with is cities are where it's at. That the centers of innovation and wealth creation. Um, there's a direct relationship between the rate of urbanization and the productivity of your economy. Um, I'm not saying that everybody should leave the countryside and go into the city, but if we can get our cities working well, they're going to generate more wealth that help us support services right across the province and across the country, indeed, including in the countryside. So I hope that at some point in time, we will come together as Canadians and understand that we need to rejig something so that our cities are, are healthier. Um, and great cities, you know, we, we've hired this guy, uh, Richard Florida, uh, who's coming working out of Toronto now. I remember he told a story about, um, what the heck's his name now? He's born to Polish immigrants in Pittsburgh. The guy who did that Campbell soup painting. Uh, Andy Warhol. <laughs> Andy Warhol. Uh, he didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody, he said he had to go to New York City uh, to be Andy Warhol. He couldn't be Andy Warhol in Pittsburgh. So we need great cities where people are free to be the best that they can be. Um, public uh, transit. Uh, it's true that uh, Governor Schwarzenegger uh, came to Ontario and everywhere we went together, I couldn't get over the size of the crowds that I was drawing. <laughs> uh, he's a great guy, by the way. Um, um, very much underestimated. And if I can, just as an aside, tell you something about the guy. Um, he, um, you know, in my, in my job, you, uh, one of the privileges is you get to meet a lot of people. And you quickly discover they're just people. And uh, I asked him about um, um, his success. And he said, uh, I'm just in sales. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I was in high school, they asked me what do you want to do? And he said, I want to go into sales. He says, the first thing that I did was I sold the world on the notion that um, bodybuilding is not some exotic fringe activity. It's a legitimate sport. Then I sold the United States of America, as he said, on the notion that an actor with an accent as thick as his muscles could make it as an action figure in Hollywood. And he did. And then he sold the people of California on the notion that a Republican in a Democratic state could be their governor. Right. He's consistently underestimated and very disciplined, I discovered. Uh, one of the things, with respect to the issue of public transit, we have tried to uh, very um, sharply um, counter an imbalance which we thought was there before by investing heavily in public transit. And um, we, we've got right now a $70.5 billion plan in place. It's the biggest of its kind ever in the country, uh, which would effectively upload 52 separate municipal public transit projects. We also have created a new uh, transit authority called Metrolink so that we can begin to look at our transit needs from the crow's nest perspective so we can see the distant horizon, better understand what we need to do to uh, serve a greater public um, interest. 
And the last note I'll mention on this score is that Joshua and I have recently uh, agreed, together with the federal government, that we're going to conduct a study for a high-speed train between uh, Quebec, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, and Windsor. We've got... <laughs> you take a look out at the next 20 years, do you want to build another 401? Or do you want to build a high-speed uh, train service? Um, I have a good fortune not to, to travel recently on behalf of Ontarians to um, Tokyo. And we took the high-speed train, the bullet train, out to Kyoto. And once you've been on one of those, you, know, you keep asking yourself, well, why, why can't we do that? And we can. And we'll keep pushing on that score. Um, Canadians and Ontarians are global citizens. What, uh, is it, what do we bring to the table? Or what, what experiences that can we learn? Or? Well, I think that we um, um, we can um, let me let me give you a, a specific. I'm trying not to be too specific on this stuff, but um, I've been premier for close to five years now. I think about eight years ago, I came here to England to learn about their educational reforms, and uh, this year. Uh, I recently learned that their um, people um, uh, closely connected to the Ministry of Education here are coming to Ontario to look at the success of our reforms. And um, the uh, agenda here was very heavily focused on, on test scores and measurable improvements. We brought a heavy focus as well to test scores and measurable improvements for 8-year-olds and, and um, I guess 11- and 12-year-olds. But we didn't just go hard on the test scores. We've hired 9,000 more teachers. We've reduced class sizes. We've made physical activity mandatory. We've taken junk food out of our schools. We've hired a couple thousand teachers who are devoted to the arts uh, and music. Uh, we try to provide a rich educational experience. And I think uh, when it comes to education reform, that's one of the things that's worked well for us. Another thing that people are talking about is, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, they're saying, we're, we're building new nuclear generation in Ontario. And I know that remains, I didn't get a single question about that in the last provincial election. Not one. There was a time it would have been, you know, it was the political third rail. If you touched it, you were dead. I'll tell you what, what, we've, what we've done is, what I said to Ontarians is, our old nuclear generators are, are, um, are, are, um, dying on us. We're going to have to replace them. 50% of our electricity in Ontario comes from nuclear generation. So I said, I'd, instead of saying we're going to build new nuclear, I said, we're going to be the fastest growing jurisdiction in North America for renewables. And we have been. I said we're going to pursue very aggressively energy conservation. And we are doing that. I said we're going to expand our capacity at Niagara Falls. And we're doing that. I said we're going to have to build more natural gas. I said, and on top of that, that's not going to be enough. Our old nukes are going, to, are going to have to be shut down. Now, we've got coal-fired generation in Ontario, and we can either build more coal-fired electrical generating stations, or we can invest in nuclear. There are bad sides to both of those, obviously. Coal generates greenhouse gas emissions, heats up our planet. The bad thing about nuclear is that we are collecting nuclear waste and it's going to be there for your great-great-great-grandchildren to deal with. 
But the upside is, I know how to contain it. So we've made a difficult choice as a people. Um, but the way that we uh, got public support for that was by demonstrating that it's part of a comprehensive plan to bring a responsible approach to electricity generation. that this lecture um, has been recorded and will be available for public consumption shortly um, on our website. Um, thank the audience as well for your great questions. And just a last comment. Um, I think I realize that the LSC and Ontario have a lot more in common than just the common interest in a city called London. Um, it's a commitment to, to idealism, as you described, to tolerance and diversity. Um, and so I'd like to thank you again for, for coming here and sort of demonstrating that to us in a very tangible format. Thanks Thank again. you very much. Thank you. And I didn't realize. <laughs> I've, I've uh, got a, a gift here uh, for the London School of Economics. Um, it's a um, it's a print, um, and the, the fellow's name again is Pactoria. Uh, and uh, this is kind of a, um, you might call it a bit of a romantic uh, perspective on Ontario, but um, I think it's gorgeous. One of the things I try to do every year, and I'll do it again this year, is take my, uh, my three sons on a, uh, on a canoe trip. Uh, my daughter and wife won't come because they refuse to portage a dishwasher. <laughs> um, but um, I think one of our challenges as, as a species is we've, we have fallen out of love with the earth that supports us. And uh, I thought this would be appropriate as you, uh, you work here in this uh, gorgeous city uh, in a highly uh, technologically advanced society, perhaps to give some thought from time to time about this gorgeous Mother Earth of ours. There you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this is um, Pro-Director George Gaskell, um, who can, if you would like to say a few words, or... Well, it's not often we receive a, a work of art here, but, uh, Minister, thank you very much indeed. That was a, an uplifting um, presentation to us all, and uh, we will treasure this uh, print and think a little more about the earth rather than just social science. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>